You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Hi, everyone. It's Kendall Kadawaki Fleming here, Japan men's national captain, and you're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. And on the podcast, we have started a new series on the podcast looking at associate nations within cricket and how they are developing the game in their country. Many of us cricket fans know so much about the established cricketing countries and not enough on the associate nations who play cricket. So it would be nice to learn more about those associate countries and via the podcast, people can also learn more as well. But today's Associate Cricket Series episode, we are discussing all things Japan cricket. Joining me to discuss and talk all things Japan cricket is the captain of the Japan cricket team, Kendall Katawaki Fleming. Kendall, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate you having me on. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, Kendall, uh, to talk about your cricketing journey playing for Japan, but also your, your journey of playing cricket in Australia as well, because you moved to Australia when you were very young with your family, because your mother's from Japan, your father's from Australia originally. So growing up here, uh, playing cricket um, and experiencing both co- cultures, I suppose, growing up in Japan and Australia, two different places. Uh, so it'll be great to, to hear your story and your journey and about Japan cricket, the men's team, uh, you being the captain and, and how the team is progressing and, and getting better and developing each and every game. So I think everyone's looking forward to our chat today to learn more about yourself and Japan cricket in general, but also the men's team as well. But before we do that, Kendall, as I do with all my guests that I've interviewed on the podcast, I'd like to take them back to when they first got into cricket. And it's been very fascinating listening to people's memories on how they started to get into the game of cricket. And as I mentioned, your introduction and pathway is a bit different to others who come from traditional cricketing backgrounds because you were born in Japan and uh, moved to Australia when you were very young. Um, so let's go back to the very beginning of your cricketing journey growing up in Australia, Kendall, what were your earliest memories of watching, playing and even going to the cricket? And who were some of the cricketing idols that you looked up to growing up? Yeah, thanks, Jack. So I guess in terms of first cricket memories, they would be in Australia because in Japan, they didn't really have um, the cricketing stars playing on TV or anything like that. But interestingly enough, my parents have actually found some photos of me recently um, as a kid in a park in Japan, just hitting a ball with this, I guess it was more of a baseball, but if you look at the photo, it looks more like a cover drive than a, than a line drive. So um, I'm going to claim that I first played cricket or had a cricket experience in Japan. So I was born on the South Island there in Kyushu. And as you said, moved over to Australia when I was six years old, I think Um, we moved to the Gold Coast and yeah, I, I joined up at a club when I was 10 or 11 years old and came through the, the cricketing pathway in Queensland, um, represented the Gold Coast district in under 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, and then um, was lucky enough to represent Queensland at under 15s and under 17s level. And I was selected in the Australian under 16s team after one of those tournaments. And we toured the Caribbean, which was a pretty great experience. Um, but in terms of cricket idols, 
Um, being a being a left hand batter, I, I must admit I had a poster of Mike Hussey and Adam Gilchrist growing up. So that that's probably the two Australian heroes I had. And as I as I got a bit older, I think Kumar Sangakkara was probably another one. I loved watching him bat, and um, obviously what he did in his career was unbelievable. I think Sangakkara and Gilchrist, in my view, that's two of the greatest players ever. The way they were able to wicket keep. Um, to Shane Warne and Murali respectively, and also um, bat the way they did as well. So that's probably a couple of my cricketing idols. And then, yeah, the the Japan cricket stuff. So uh, when I was when I turned eighteen, I played a season in the UK, and I think it was my dad that got in touch with the Japan Cricket Association and said, you know, my son's half Japanese, doesn't doesn't go too badly with the bat would love to get involved in some capacity. So I actually went over to Sano in Japan when I was 18 or 19, um, met met the coach, Dougal Bettingfield, CEO, Alex Miyagi, and um, and Alan Carr, head of, head of cricket operations, and they're still in their roles today around 10 years later. Um, but ever since that first meeting, I've been over most years since to play a couple of games of club cricket for the mighty Chiba Sharks or you know, playing the Japan Premier League for the East Kanto Sunrisers. Um, and yeah, I've had a, a great time playing cricket over in Japan. Um, I was lucky enough to get selected in the national, uh, uh, yeah, the national squad in 2019. Um, obviously with the pandemic, we weren't able to play cricket for a few years, but made my international debut in 2022, which was obviously a huge honour, um, not only to play, but to captain the side. And yeah, we've played probably around 12 to 15 matches since then. Um, and we've got a pretty packed schedule ahead for the next 12 months. So very exciting times. And in addition to the playing opportunities I've had with Japan, I was also lucky enough to be part of the coaching team for the Under-19 World Cup in 2019-20, I believe. Um, yeah, that, that was that was a great experience. Obviously, we were coming up against the, the best young talent at players in the world and we've seen some of them progress to IPL and test cricket in the years since so um, yeah really exciting time for Japan cricket absolutely great to hear your cricketing journey there Kendall and how, how it all started uh, I have to agree Mike Hussey was one of my idols growing up as well he's his cover drive was something to watch as a left-hander always elegant left-handers absolutely um, uh, and Sangakara, as you mentioned, great player as well for, for Sri Lanka. So good to hear you about your cricketing journey and how it all started growing up and your memories there. I think everyone can relate to that, playing playing cricket growing up and with their friends and in the backyard and for their club and getting involved in, in this great game. Um, you mentioned your international debut, and let's talk about that because you made your debut T20 Nationals um, in 2022. It was against Indonesia um, in Santo, where Japan won by 65 runs. That's not a bad debut on the winning side. Um, you opened the batting and, and got 12, and you got bold. Um, but then, <laughs> so not a not a great start to to the career. But your numbers are, are pretty impressive. You, you've scored 100, 114, your high score got 350s in your short career in 15 matches. Um, and, and obviously that game was Japan's first ever T20 national. Um, 
because they were given status along with Indonesia as well. And the ICC gave everyone T20 national status to all their members. And that's a good thing for associate cricket to do that. Um, tell us that moment, Kendall. Can you go back to when you got that opportunity that you're playing, you're also leading the side as captain? It must have been a great feeling to to finally realise that your dream of becoming an international cricketer would become a reality. So just tell us about that that moment when you debuted and, and what were you feeling at that time? Yeah, to be honest, it was a little bit of a blur that morning. I remember getting up and um, it was pretty nervous. I like I probably wasn't going to play against the standard of some of the guys that I play in Australia in first grade who bowl, you know, in the one forties, but um, the, the pressure, I guess, and the honor that comes with representing your country. Um, it, it just felt like a huge occasion. We had probably eight or nine players making their debut that day. Um, so it was really, really good to have some ex players down presenting caps. And um, I remember it was a pretty emotional morning. Um, you know, having these legends of Japan cricket come down and tell us their stories and um, basically wish us, wish us all the best for that day. So um, a real honour to, to get out there. Every time I hear the anthem before play, um, whether it's at the Asian Games recently or any of these ICC tournaments, um, it really, really gets the heart pumping. So... Um, no, that was that was a great day. Obviously, personally, didn't get the runs that I would have liked to start, but um, to get a win that day was was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's always a special moment, regardless of what level of cricket you play. When you make your debut for any team, it's always a special moment when you get to represent the club or the country, and um, it's always a special feeling in every cricketer's uh, career to get that opportunity. And, Many people are fortunate enough to play cricket for their country. Others aren't. So you're in that privileged few that have experienced what that feeling is like when you put on the shirt of Japan and wear the cap and lead the side and, and uh, represent the country, the whole of the nation on your shoulders. It's a, it's a very humbling experience, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I mentioned the Asian Games recently. Um, we weren't just representing Japan cricket, but we were representing J Team Japan, um, mm. a really proud nation um, across all these sports. So that was that was really cool. But yeah, I mean, going back to the Indonesian series and making our debut, I think having a group of guys very similar to myself, um, there were probably, I think most of us were half Japanese in a very similar boat to myself in that we've spent some time in Japan, but also some time outside of Japan where we um, upskilled in terms of cricket. And um, yeah, I, I felt like a bit of a big brother in that moment. And, and I do captaining the side as well. So uh, very special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then you had the choice, Kendall, to either represent Japan or pursue a career in Australia. Many associate players are in this boat where they have dual citizenship. They either play for one country or the other. Um, and you've got to make that decision whether you go with the associate country like Japan or Australia that's well-established in the cricketing world, um, trying to weigh up the options. Would I you know, have more success in Australia or would I have success in Japan? And I suppose... Um, that's always a difficult decision to make. You've got to weigh up a lot of things, uh, where you want to take your cricket. 
um, and many of associate players have that experience. And sadly, in Australian cricket, there's been quite a few players that have played for two countries. Um, I'm sure you would have heard of him and, and met him up there in Queensland, Kendall, Kepler Vessels, uh, now match referee for Cricket Australia. He played for Australia and South Africa. Um, so he's one of few that have, have done the double, along with others in, in the international cricketing world. But then you chose to play for Japan in the end. Um, talk us through that decision, Kendall. Was it very tough decision to make or did you think it was just right because my family's there i've got the heritage there it just felt right to represent japan rather than australia so just talk us through that decision yeah. that you had to make to be honest i think um it's pretty flattering to think that i had that choice to make to be honest i was pursuing that professional pathway in australia as i played grade cricket uh, i debuted in first grade at 15 in a one-day game which was um, the youngest at my club for quite a while and um, was pursuing the pathway through through youth cricket here. Um, got to 17 or 18 and um, missed out on a rookie contract here in Queensland um, in favour of Sam Hazlitt and Matt Renshaw. Um, probably a couple of names you've heard of that have gone on to play for Australia before they yep. turned 22, I think. So in hindsight, they probably made the correct decision. Um, I wouldn't say that I... You know, I, I chose Japan over Australia, but um, I've really fully committed to Japan cricket over the last few years. Um, I enjoy playing for Norths here in here in Brisbane um, and captaining a really talented group of players. But um, in terms of my commitment to uh, in international cricket, I've put all my eggs in the Japan cricket basket. Um, no regrets, and it's something I'm really passionate about. So, yeah, I mean... You use Kepler as an example. Uh, yeah. Kepler was actually coaching South Brisbane in the um, Premier Cricket competition. He's obviously a match referee now. Um, yeah. And I had a good conversation with him around it and obviously different circumstances yeah. with South Africa and Australia at that time. But um, he's also a great story. But um, to answer your question, I guess I would have loved to play for Australia playing as a, a kid here and growing up. Um, I remember the feeling of putting on the, the baggy green replica when I represented Australia in the under-16 stuff. Um, but to be honest, nothing matches the feeling of putting the Japan shirt on um, these days. It's honestly a huge source of pride and um, absolutely love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's just meant to be, isn't it? it? It was meant to be that you were meant to play for Japan and, and, and represent them and uh, doing what you're doing now um but what advice would you give to other associate players who are in that similar situation that you were in to choose one country or the other what would you give them as a piece of advice if, if they were in that situation to you yeah rather than thinking about it as a choice i think there's there's no problem with um becoming the best player you can be in a full member country and then with those skills you can take that to your associate country and really try to develop help develop the game there like there's nothing better than um the feeling of telling a kid in japan a few tips and then seeing them flourish or improve i, I think it's something great you know and i've probably learned some of those things in a full member like australia um unfortunately in a lot of these associate countries they don't have access to the level of coaching or the quality of facilities equipment all these different challenges that we face and um 
yeah, I mean, I would just encourage players to be the best they can be, try to get, try to take as much in as possible and then take that to their associate countries and you can, you can just make the whole cricket world a better place. Absolutely. It's, it's um, that sort of thing with cricket. It's all about learning. It's uh, one big happy family and you're always willing to help each other out, getting, um, you know, advice and guidance from other people around the cricketing world. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds sounds a bit cheesy, but uh, mm. I think it's the truth. It's very fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about mentors, and um, they're a big part of our lives, mentors, people who we look up to, um, whether it be your parents or friends or people who've influenced your life in your journey. And it's the same with professional sports people athletes um, and cricketers they have a lot of mentors and I'm sure you've had a lot of mentors and people that you've linked lent on in your time pursuing your career in cricket Kendall um, who have been the mentors that have helped you the most in your cricket to career and people that you turn to for advice if you're struggling who are those people yeah I, I think my dad's probably been someone who's always been there for me through my whole cricket journey I think when I when I was first learning how to hold a bat in the backyard on the Gold Coast, it was it was my dad and and his dad, my granddad, that were there throwing me balls. And um, yeah, he's always he's never been overbearing, but he's always been someone that I can talk to about how I'm going in the game. Um, I think cricket can be a really tough sport mentally at times. Just the nature of it, you know. We play two day cricket as a batter. I don't really bowl anymore. Um, as a batter, it can be a pretty lonely place when you're in a yeah. lean trot, um, especially as a young player coming through. It can be a really tough sport. So um, it's really important to have those people that you can turn to in those times. Um, obviously, all the coaches that I've had over the years. Um, without naming names, all the captains I've had, I've been really fortunate to play with some great leaders as well. Um, And I think the best teams, you probably got a group of players that are holding each other accountable, but at the same time being, you know, someone that can listen to you when you're going through something. So, um, yeah, I mean, plenty of people, but I think my dad's probably been someone that's always there for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you see yourself as a as a mentor yourself within the team? Obviously, you're captain, and we're going to talk about that a bit later when we talk about the team. But do you see yourself as a as a mentor to the to the lads? Yeah, probably. I'd I'd like to think so, especially in the Japan cricket space. Um, and it's not just the cricket stuff where I'd like to think I add value. I think we're all in this unique position as these half Japanese players that might've um, gone abroad young. Like uh, I'm really comfortable in my own skin now, but that hasn't always been the case. I think it can be hard. I didn't speak any English when I got to Australia and, you know, I was in this English as a second language class until mm. I was eight or nine. And I think sport is a, is a great way to assimilate um, with others. And it's a, yeah, so I think with my experiences, and even as a teenager, um, you know, you don't you don't always feel feel like you fit in at either country. Um, unfortunately, Japan is not the most um, diverse culturally as a place. Um, it's changing a little bit, but um, yeah, I feel like I can help these guys through my own experiences. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, Kendall, all over your career, you've played with and against some of the best players in world cricket, played at some of the most iconic grounds in the world, and been to so many countries while playing cricket, touring. Um, so, Kendall, if, if you had to choose your favourite player to play with and against or someone you've met in your journey, another cricketer, um, your favourite ground and your favourite country that you've played cricket in, what will they be? I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but try and answer that for us if you can. Yeah, so there's a f- there's a few there. So what was the first one? Favourite player to play with Favorite and against? Favourite player to play with and against or someone that yep. you've met in the cricketing world? Favourite player to play with? I would have to say Nathan McSweeney. He was my co-captain at Norths for a couple of years in, in first grade. And obviously he's gone down to Adelaide a few years ago and been very successful down there. But um, yeah, I loved playing with him. He batted three, I batted four. Um, when we won our last premiership in two-day cricket in 2017-18, which is one of my great cricket memories. Um, he's he's always had a great head on his shoulders. Um, absolutely the most one of the most competitive players you'll ever play with, but would do anything for his teammates. Um, and, I mean, it's probably not as big a call now, but I think you'll see him playing for Australia someday pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, play, play against... I talk about it quite a bit, but Chris Lynn, I played against a few times and he actually scored a double hundred um, twice in a month against my side, both in one day cricket and then two day cricket. Um, the way that he used to hit the ball still does, still does it pretty effectively. But I think at his peak, the way he hit the ball was second to none. So, um, you know, I, I tell a lot of stories about the way that he hit us everywhere. Um, favorite ground gonna have to say Sano International Cricket Ground um the home of cricket in Japan it's it's a really great ground um if you look at it very picturesque you can you can catch Mount Fuji on a good day as well um from the ground they've got a nice setup with the tea room you'll have to get there someday Jack maybe for our next ICC tournament but um yeah uh it's it's a challenge keeping the square in good nick and I think it's really important that we do that at the ground but the potential there is huge, um, and yeah, love playing there. And then favorite place to tour. Um, I honestly can't go past Tokyo. I love like there's no international cricket ground in Tokyo, but Sano's around an hour's an hour train ride away. Um, love Tokyo. I, I could, I would love to live there one day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I, I should be able to go over there and, and see the ground at uh, Santo Kendall. Um, Got to give me some good seats VIP access. <laughs> <laughs> In the tea room there. it's um, yeah. The tea room's basically behind the side screens. Great place to watch cricket. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen photos of it. It's, uh, it's such a wonderful ground. Um, so that was good to hear your thoughts on all of those uh, questions that I asked there. Um I want to talk about reflection, if I may, with you, Kendall. When you're reflecting on your journey, international career, and you look back, um, your career is, isn't done yet. You've still got a lot more to offer. It's a long way off before you retire. You're in your you know, 20s and you, you're still going strong. You've still got a lot to offer cricket in Japan and the game in general. Um, do you ever take a moment to reflect on your journey and what are you most proud of? And do you have any regrets? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I think uh, Alan Alan Carr has a podcast. I'm not sure if he spoke about it during your interview with him, but um, I think it's it's only during things like that when I was on his podcast and now when I'm on your podcast that you get to yeah. sort of talk through the journey and and I think this is a great opportunity to sort of reflect. But day to day, not not really to be honest. I think it's probably something that you'll do more so when you've when you've finished playing. Um, I'd like to think I've got a few good years in a Japan shirt ahead of me. So um, by that point, hopefully we've reached a couple of the goals we've set out to do as a team and then we can reflect after that. But um, yeah, not really. And then uh, regrets. That's that's also another tough question, Jack. I think um, I alluded to it before, but I went to England as an 18-year-old uh, to play cricket for a season and I had a I had a good time. It was a great experience for my life. But if I had my time again, um, I would love to spend six months in Japan during that time yep. instead. Um, obviously, didn't know as much about cricket in the country as I do now. And it probably wasn't as it wasn't set up as well as it is now as well in terms of the competitions yeah. that are available and things like that. But um, that probably is another thing. Um you know, that would have helped with my Japanese. That's probably another slight regret. And every time I go over there, um, I think I would love to just focus on improving my Japanese to the point where I can get up and do speeches in front of sponsors and things like that. I can, I'm, I'm comfortable talking to them one-on-one -on -one and I can definitely get my point across. I, I speak to all the Japanese, I speak to all the players in Japanese on the field all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we definitely don't have any issues communicating, but uh, I would love to be completely fluent in both languages and be able to write and read as a, as a Japanese person as well. But, um, you know, it, it's it's tough at my age and I get back to Australia and it feels like I've got a lot on my plate. So unfortunately falls down. But when I do spend a couple of weeks in Japan, I find that it comes back to me, especially when I spend a bit of time with my, with my grandma. So yeah, it's... That's probably a couple of the things that come to mind. Yeah, yeah it's it's good to hear that um, about your journey and reflecting on it, and and uh, there's still a lot more to to offer the game, um, as you said. There's still plenty of good years left in you. Hopefully, plenty of runs and hopefully plenty of victories for Japan, and they can achieve great things. Um, what advice would you give to young girls and boys who want to play cricket or sport and have ambitions of playing? cricket or sport at the highest level what a, what piece of advice would you give to uh to them uh i don't think that anyone should set a ceiling on what they can achieve in sport um i think that every boy and girl should dream of playing at the highest level and i've seen it firsthand that when when people have a goal and they and they I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but they're really striving towards that goal. You can, you really can achieve special things. So I don't think that even if you're a kid that might not be the most athletic or talented um, in primary school or even high school, um, you never know. Things can change really quickly. And if you work hard, then um, people can achieve pretty special things. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice there, Kendall. Um, to all those aspiring uh girls and boys who want to play sport or do anything in their life that anything is possible if you put your mind to it so that's a that's a perfect way uh, to move on to our uh, next topic of this um, interview kendall and let's talk about the japan 
uh, cricket team, the national team, of course. Uh, you're the captain of the team. Uh, it'd be good to gain your insights on the team, learn more about the achievements, the player stories, because many of the players come from diverse backgrounds in, um, in the team. Also characters as well. Every team has a character or two that is a practical joker or someone who makes everyone laugh. So it'd be good to hear your insights on that. But the team has come leaps and bounds. And speaking to Alan Kerr and our chatter on Japan Cricket on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, he, he spoke about the team and the great stuff that the team is achieving. But it's a, it's a young team. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a team that's still learning, developing. It's a tight-knit unit and group. Um, everyone enjoying playing cricket with each other. Uh, you can see that when you, when you take the field. Um, uh, the team hasn't played much T20 Nationals. You've only played 15 games, nine wins and six losses. So it's not a true reflection on uh, where the team is, is going. But um, hopefully those numbers will in increase in the years to come if you get more opportunities to play in tournaments and, and more series bilaterally. Um, so, so, Kendall, for those who may not know a lot about the Japan cricket team, can you tell us more about the team in general, the people behind the scenes, the players and some of the stories uh, that you can share with us? Yeah, no worries. Um, we probably don't have time to go through every single player or support member of support staff. We'd be here all day. But, yeah, you touched on a few things there. It's a really close-knit group. Um, I think we've played above ourselves in terms of um, talent level. I think we really get together. And, um, yeah, there's so much passion for the shirt. And I think we've shown that in a few games. We've, we've fallen short in a couple of really close games against strong opposition like Papua New Guinea and Hong Kong over the last year. And um, I'm sure that if we keep progressing the way that we have been, then within the next 12 months, we can achieve some pretty special things. Um, there's, yeah, I'll, I'll go through a couple of characters in the team. So um, the first one is Makoto Taniyama. He's probably one of my best mates in the team. He's He learned how to bowl by watching Shane Warne on YouTube. So he's been the he's been the leg spinner for the national team for basically 10 years. Um, my understanding is that he'd be the leading wicket taker over that time for Japan, um, probably close to the leading run scorer as well. Um, he finds himself a little bit further down the order at the moment with some of the talent that we've got coming through, but very useful lower order batter. And um, yeah, he's just a great teammate and everyone everyone really loves him. Um, we've got Alex Shirai Patmore. He's our keeper. Um, I've played with a lot of keepers over the years and he'd be one of the best pure glovemen that I've played with. Um, he's, he's another guy that we probably see as a big brother in the team. Um, I think he's 35, 36 years old, but prepares really well. Um, you know, sets the standards in training and in warmups and things like that. And he's a, he's a really good keeper. Um, he's, you know, I think he scored the first international 100. It wasn't a T20 international. I think it was a 50-over game, but he scored the first 100 for Japan, I believe. So, yeah, great guy to have around the squad. Um, the the Thurgate brothers, so I think they're the only, um, the only brothers in the national squad at the moment. But, yeah, Marcus, he, he was formerly the under-19s captain as backup wicketkeeper to Alex at the moment. Um, really, really talented batter. He spent a couple of seasons in Australia and I, I really think that he's got the potential to play a huge role in the national team in years to come. And then his, his younger brother, Ashley, um, 
an, another character, really fun guy to be around. And um, he's he's grown up over the last couple of years a lot, which I've seen firsthand through being assistant coach of that 19s team. Um, still got a bit of growing up to do, but um, he's come a long way. And yeah, I love spending time with Ash as well, who's a really, a really talented young off spinner. And I think there's something there with the bat as well in terms of clearing the fences. So hopefully keeps working hard at it. Um, in terms of support staff, Dougal Bettingfield, he's another he's another good mate of mine and a really respected coach. I think he's the perfect coach for the group. Um, yeah, it's it's a unique skill set that we need in that role. Um, someone that can speak both Japanese and English for, for cricket purposes. Um, he knows all the players, knows all the, the talent coming through the program as well. Um, and... Yeah, he still he still plays cricket in Japan and goes quite well in the club in the club scene. So, uh, yeah, I think he's the perfect coach for the group. So there's there's a little bit of an insight into some of the players and the coach. But um, yeah, I, I think as you said and as I said at the start of this response, it's a really close knit group. I mentioned it after we lost in the Asian Games, but I do think that we've played historically better than the sum of our parts, which is um, a great testament to the way that we're able to work together as a team. And I do think that um, if we keep improving individually, then we can we can go one step better in the ICC stuff next year. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, what's the brand of cricket that you're trying to instill as, as a captain, as a, as a team? What do you want the team to, to play their cricket like? Um, be aggressive, be bold, take risks, uh, give it a go. Um, Tell us a yeah. bit about the direction of the team and your brand of cricket that you want to play. Yeah, absolutely. So I think predominantly we'll be playing 2020 cricket at least over the next few years, and that's the pathway to get to a World Cup. So um, myself and Dougal have been really consistent in our messaging that we want to be really positive, um, both with bat and ball. Um, you know, with the ball, we're happy to take risks. Um, if we, If we don't execute, that's fine. But as long as we're really clear in our plans um, and we're trying to trying to execute those. And then with the bat, it's the same thing. We want to be aggressive up the top through the power play and we want to be the best fielding team in the in the region. So um, PNG set a really high bar in that respect. But I think that fielding is, you know, a combination of a few things, including effort, um, training, and athleticism. And I think that we've got a lot of the tools as a squad to be able to be really strong in those areas. And um, yeah, so being really positive with with bat and ball, I think as a general rule is the way that we want to play. And one other thing that when I came into the squad, I thought that there was probably a little bit too much respect um, and admiration for some of our competitors in the, in the region. And I definitely think that you always need to respect your opposition regardless of rankings and things like that. But I never want to be scared of a team that we're playing against. Um, And I almost felt like we thought that Vanuatu and PNG were just these godlike players in the region. And it's something that I wanted to really put my best foot forward and stamp out of the squad. Um, You know, that belief that we can beat anyone on our day. And... I sometimes take that, I've probably sometimes taken that a little bit too far in terms of just really trying to be um, the alpha on the field and not not stand down to anyone. But um, I feel like 
the boys are coming with me now and we honestly believe that we can take down any country in the region um at the same time we respect our opposition at all times but um yeah that that belief i think is there in the squad now yeah absolutely so you're trying to instill a little bit of the australian mongrel into the team uh kendall um up in your face um but i suppose that's the thing with japanese people they're always respectful softly spoken and respect is a big thing in japanese culture so to try and tinker with that and trying to be more aggressive and more in your face to your opposition is is definitely proving to be a bit of a challenge as you as you said but um is it is it definitely working is it definitely making a difference have you noticed yeah i've definitely seen a shift and i don't want to be a team that's disliked by any means but i just think that you can have this internal belief all the time which i didn't think was always there um you know and the respect thing i i can't stand anything that's unsportsmanlike i don't like send-offs and i always think after the game that you should talk to your opposition and get to know them because at the end of the day we're all competing for the same thing and and we love the game and we want to grow the game in associate countries. So we, we share that, that passion, but um, on the field, I just, uh, yeah, to answer your question, I do think there has been a shift. Um, we've probably got a little, little way to go, but um, yeah, I think you can combine respect with self-belief and confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's in store for the team in terms of world events, obviously the T20 world cups this year and, USA and the Caribbean, obviously Japan didn't qualify for for that tournament. Um, so hoping to qualify for future events. Um, do you see the team achieving that mission and goal to hopefully one day be a part of a T20 World Cup and then further down the line, once you got ODI status, probably be a part of a 50-over World Cup as well and then in the distant future? Yeah, I mean, I would... I would love to play more 50 over cricket as a team. I think that it suits our skill set. Um, but the reality is that T20 is probably the pathway in the short term. Um, you know, we were one spot away from playing this next World Cup. PNG will be representing our region and I hope they go really well. Um, you know, it was one spot, but there was a clear gap between the countries. Um, I think PNG went through undefeated at the regional finals and we came second with three wins and three losses. So, um the great thing about that is that we know the standard we need to get to um so that in two years time or it's probably 18 months time now um we can we can go one better but i i do think that that's the goal it might sound ambitious but i would love to go through the sub-regional qualifier later this year um where we'll have to overcome a couple of strong and um developing countries in the philippines and indonesia um and then in the regional final where we'll have to take down png who have been setting the standard in the region for probably 20 years or so they've got some really good players but they're aging um where i I think our 19s have been uh the best in the region over the last two cycles and yeah hopefully some of those boys keep coming through and um yeah as i said we can take down the giants Absolutely. Um, do you feel like the team's well supported in Japan that the Japanese people get behind you? Uh, do you feel that support when you play in Japan, but also abroad as well? 
Yeah, I think so. Japanese are a very proud people and um, they want to see the, the country doing well. I felt that support um, at the Asian Games when we when we beat Cambodia in the first round. It felt like, you know, we're on TV and we're on mainstream TV in Japan and they were loving the fact that we were taking down these countries. So, um, yeah, it's probably one of the biggest challenges of, of cricket in Japan and cricket in associate countries generally is trying to get into the mainstream and try to get the public support. Um, I'm probably biased in my position as captain of the men's team, but I've always said that you can't you can't be what you can't see. So I think that it starts at the top, the flagship teams, the men's national team it needs to be as strong as we can get it so that we can get that um, public exposure, we can get on TV and then kids can watch us play on TV. Um, I think the support comes from there. But Suno, Suno City has been really huge in the way that they've supported cricket um, over an extended period now. Um, it's really great to to see the dignitaries when they come down for international series. And um, yeah, we get, we get a few thousand people in some days um, when they, when they combine a little festival with food trucks and food stalls and things like that with a couple of games of cricket. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely growing. Um, I'd like to see that the rate of growth increase further, but um, yeah, it's, it's promising. Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose these things take time and you just need to build slowly and it'll get there in the end eventually, but that's it's good to hear. Um, does the men team uh, work with the women's team as well in, in Japan? Do they help each other out? Do you help each other out with the women's team? Um, yeah, we've had, we've had training camps together and things like that in the past. Um, we're obviously huge supporters of the women's team and any time they're on tour, most of the men are watching and we're commenting live and things like that, which is really good to have that mutual support. They do the same when we're playing. Um, I'm not sure if it's in the pipeline, but I would love to have men's and women's playing series at the same time against an opposition. Um, you know, I think that it'll, that'll only strengthen that bond between the squads. And I think, you know, we could really, a couple of the bowlers, you know, Rayo Sakurano, for example, he's the vice captain, he bowls a beautiful outswinger. I'm sure he could teach some of the girls some great things about wrist position and things like that. So, um, yeah, to, to answer your question a little bit during training camps and things like that, but um, not really on tours as yet. Yeah, no, that's good Good to hear. Obviously, women's cricket's growing and developing in all parts of the world. Um, so it's very important that we help um them out and, and develop in associate nations women's cricket and also around the world as well, which is fantastic to see. Um, so captaincy, let's talk about captaincy. Became the captain in 2022 of the team. Everyone knows in cricket that being the captain is one of the most challenging jobs to do uh, at all levels, not only international, but club or whatever level you're playing. Um, and you've had some captaincy experience before you took on this role of being captain of the, of the Japan national team. Um, so Kendall, can you just tell us about your captaincy journey and how do you balance your role as being the captain, but also being a, a player as well, trying to separate the two? Just talk us through that. Yeah. So in terms of my captaincy journey, I guess I captained my first teams as a junior. It's quite different when you're playing junior cricket. You often get handed a piece of paper from the coach saying this is the bowling order, these are the fields you should set. So it's probably less um, 
tactically taxing than it than it is as an adult but they were my first experiences um and then yeah doing it at grade level in brisbane um has been has set me up really well to do it for japan i think the biggest difference is obviously the language um we really emphasize in the japan team that we want to speak japanese at all times on the field and i think it's a great advantage to be able to speak a language that our opposition can't understand um we've also got a couple of spies on our team um ibi takahashi is half japanese and half pakistani so when we're playing against a lot of these countries that speak urdu predominantly um we've got ibi in it short cover that's relaying the messages to us which is pretty handy but we really do want to emphasize um speaking as much japanese as possible and i, I try to I try to do that as much as possible when I'm even talking to bowlers and things like that. Um, and definitely when we're moving the field or we're, we're talking about bowling plans. So um, I, I think that's a great thing that we've got. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are challenges to it, but I personally, I think it makes me a better player. Um, it, it makes me, it puts a little bit more pressure on me, but I think that it gets the best out of me as well. So I love doing it for Japan. As I said, it's a huge honor and hopefully I can do it for a couple more years before I pass it on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any tips would you give for any young cricket captains out there if they're starting to get into the role of captain for their team? Any advice for those youngsters who may be embarking on their captaincy journey in cricket? Yeah, I don't think it's something that you want to put too much emphasis on. I think that anyone that's playing cricket should be thinking tactically about the game. Um, and on the flip side, if you do have the C next to your name, it doesn't mean that you have to do anything that different. I think you, you want to be able to get the best out of your teammates. That's a big thing. And you also want to be receptive to their input. So um, I play in a team in Brisbane where, as I said, play with a bunch of talented guys, but everyone in the team has probably got captaincy experience. So often you've got to filter a lot of the opinions and then at the end of the day, it's your call as captain. So that's that's a skill that I've started developing. And in Japan, I really encourage everyone to think about the game. I want bowlers to come to me with a plan and then we can work through that. Um, I, want, I want batters. You know, we work with Dougal as well, who's pretty heavily involved on the tactical side off the ground. But yeah, on the ground, I want, 11 voices i want 11 people thinking about the game and yeah that would be my advice i guess don't put too much emphasis on what that c means next to your next to your name i think that you should be developing your leadership skills in any role as you're coming through absolutely couldn't agree more um is there any people that you look up to in cricket other captains from other countries like say like a like a Ricky Ponning back in the day or when he was captain or Pat Cummins recently with Australia. Do you look at those type of captains and learn from them? Yeah, I think so. I, th I think that Graham Smith from South Africa is probably someone I really respected as a leader. Um, MS Dhoni. I mean, I can't fathom the amount of pressure that some of these guys in India are under mm -hmm. when they play cricket. Um, but for someone like MS Dhoni, he was just, you know, he seemed perfect from the outside and so loved by by a huge nation but a lot of pressure on him especially when he would take chases down to the last two balls every time but he seemed to get it done more often than not so um yeah great leaders there and in other sports as well um not just cricket but i think you know i personally i love watching aussie rules and a couple of leaders there um joel selwood i think 
not my favorite player going around, but I think his leadership um, was was huge to that organization. So, yeah, I mean, if I had to choose one, probably Graham Smith. I remember he came out with a broken hand to bat against Mitchell Johnson. Um, just just courage, and so try to take a leaf out of his book. Absolutely, he was a he was a pretty good player, Graham Smith. Good opening batter for South Africa. Came to the captaincy very young in his early 20s and uh, led to uh, success for South Africa, winning series, becoming number one in the world. So I guess he's not a bad person to follow and and try to get tips off. Um, Kendall, uh, tell us about the team going forward. What's in store for, for the men's team series-wise, uh, tournaments, qualification and all that stuff? Just tell us what's going to be happening in the next few months because you said before we started, recording this episode you said we're busy for the next few months um so tell us what's in store in the next few months for the national team yeah so we got some really exciting news recently that we've joined the asian cricket council so not only in the men's stuff but also the under 19s and the under 16s as well as the women's so um our under 19s recently actually qualified for the under 19s premier cup which is obviously played by the strongest countries in the in the region um, including India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. And um, they they went really well, I thought. They they came home winless, but um, held themselves to a great standard and I think impressed some people in the region. And obviously with that involvement comes more tours, more match opportunities, which is great for our team. So our next tour is to Thailand um, and that's for the, I believe, Challenger Cup. So if we come top two in that, we make the final of that, we progress to the next stage. And then I guess the finalists of that stage progress to the Asia Cup. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I'll be disappointing too many Japan cricket fans by saying that we don't expect to make the Asia Cup this time around. But I think it's great that we're part of this pathway. And the more match opportunities we get, the better for this squad. So that's our next one. And then immediately after that, we've got the East Asia Cup um, played by Hong Kong, China and Japan this time. Um, Korea have pulled out. So that's going to be played in Hong Kong, which is a great opportunity for us to play against a really strong team again. So after that, there'll be an ICC qualification um, tournament. It'll be the sub-regional that I alluded to earlier. Um, I believe that will be in Korea. I would love that to be in Sano, but we we had it last time, so I'm not sure we'll be able to host it again. And then if we win that, we'll go through to the regional final. Um, so, yeah, really, really exciting. There's a lot of cricket. Obviously, we had three years where we didn't play any international cricket. Last year, I think we played eight. Yeah, we played six in the regional final and then two at the Asian Games. So hopefully this year we can sort of double that and then yeah, go from there. Absolutely. Good to hear that. And um, good to see that the team's playing some some cricket and looking to uh, get better and improve and hopefully tick off a few things in, in their ambitions and goals to hopefully one day reach their uh, objections and, and and goals as, as a group and, as you've said, as captain and and wanting the team to aspire to. So it's fantastic. So everyone listening and watching, get around Japan Cricket, support the support the team, support Kendall and all the work he's doing with, with the group as captain, um, get behind them. Uh, we'll, I think everyone wishes the team all the success in the world, Kendall, and that growth and development to continue. Um, that's a perfect way to 
talk about next, Kendall, is the growth and development of cricket in Japan. In terms of getting cricket into local communities, schools, grassroots, etc., and it's one of the biggest challenges facing many associate nations in the world, Kendall. Um, and it's easier said than done to try and promote it. Uh, when I spoke to Alan Kerr, he spoke about the many good programs that Japan Cricket is trying to do in this space um, when I chatted to him. And uh, it would be good to get your perspective on this as well as a, as a player. Um, how do you make cricket accessible? How do you grow it? How do you develop it? How do you make it accessible for, for kids to go to their local park and play a game of cricket in the nets or at a ground? Uh, pitches are not turf. They're artificial. Um, so trying to you know, build those up, uh, getting cricket into schools and sporting programs um, and making cricket accessible to people on TV and even at their local clubs to make it easy for them to register and get involved and volunteer, either becoming an umpire or scorer or helping out at their, at their local clubs. So, Kendall, what, what challenges does Japan Cricket Association have in trying to grow and develop cricket in the Japanese community? And do you ever see cricket becoming the number one mainstream sport in Japan? Uh, yeah, so I guess that's that's the big question that the JCA face, and it's something that we grapple with as an organisation. You know, there are so many things that we want to address, whether it's high performance, facilities, equipment, um, getting cricket into schools, getting cricket into the community, and then there's the marketing aspect as well you know getting it into the mainstream that we spoke about earlier so there, there are so many things that we want to do um so i guess the first challenge is probably funding um you know if we had an unlimited pool of funds then we'd be able to address all these things that we want to um but unfortunately that's not the case the icc have um some criteria that i'm not really aware of in terms of the specifics but we get an X dollar amount from them and then the JCA have to decide how to allocate those funds. And so, um, you know, they do a great job. Um, Alex, CEO, Alan and Dougal as probably the senior cricket heads um, in, in trying to prioritize what we need to do. Um, I spoke about it before. Personally, I think that we need to really focus on high performance and getting the men's team as strong as possible. So that's through, um, coaching that's through playing more matches so tours they're not cheap hosting hosting teams isn't cheap either um, you know making sure that we've got good equipment so we can train and get better um, sending sending players to full members to improve their skills um, even upskilling people members of the organization so um, whether it's a member of staff that wants to get into sports psychology or whether it's someone that wants to get a coaching qualification or an umpiring qualification. There are so many things that we want to do, um, but I guess it does come down to funding. So um, trying to get sponsors. I think one thing that really drives me is that um, the way that rugby grew in Japan um, I remember watching a game or following a game where we lost, you know, 110 nil to the All Blacks. And, you know, the All Blacks were probably the best team in the world, the best sporting team in the world. Um, and so there was no shame in losing, but it was probably the, the way, like how dominant that win was. Um, and then 
10 years later, we're beating the Springboks in a World Cup. So I think the way that Japanese people um, can get onto sports and really drive the growth of those is really heartening for cricket. So, and for me personally, I just think there's a huge opportunity. We could grow really quickly. And so hopefully um, some potential partners see the value in that as well and are able to support financially because um, every every dollar or every yen that comes in um, can contribute to that growth and improvement. And as I said, there are so many different things that I would love um, for there to be improvement and to be an increased investment in. So um you know the facilities uh, as we spoke about Sano International Cricket Ground it's a great facility there but having a good pitch there is a challenge um there's the weather is probably unique well it's not probably it's definitely unique to Japan so you can't just get a groundsman from some other country and say oh why aren't you doing this for 10 months of the year because Japan has four really distinct seasons so there's probably a challenge in that um and and to be honest even in full member countries it's not easy to prepare a wicket that's mm. conducive to a lot of runs um we it's it's traditionally been a pretty dry wicket takes a lot of spin which does suit the way that we play but um you know i think if we're marketing the sport it's really important that kids see that you know the sixes they want to see the sixes i want to see the sixes as well and i want to hit the sixes so i'm hoping that we can get a bit of pace in the wicket um and i've I've seen improvement in that already but that costs a lot of money and every every step that we take it's it's a huge financial investment as well so um i guess it's prioritizing all these things and um those those guys that i spoke about at the jca they're doing multiple roles um they would love to hire another 10 people i'm sure so yeah there's there's a number of challenges that that we face but I guess getting cricket into the mainstream is probably the biggest one um, aside from the funding. So it's it's our job as a national team to put our best foot forward, be a team that the Japanese people can relate to and enjoy watching. Um, and then, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic to hear that. Um, do the players feel a, a sense of responsibility to go back to their own communities to promote the sport? Uh, themselves are the players undertaking in any sort of um, promotion and in, in terms of of that growing and developing the game in their own communities from where they grew up or lived um yeah so the jca have have a five-year strategy and a lot of it is around having cities of cricket um i'm not sure if alan spoke to you about those but at the moment we've got a number of those i don't think we've got one in Kyushu yet which is where i was born but um I would love to get back there and you know go to the go to the preschool that I went went to or the primary school and you know run a little cricket clinic there. I think that'd be awesome. But um, yeah, I, I guess it starts in Suno. That's where cricket is based there. So we feel real responsibility to give back to that community first and foremost. Um, you know, even when we go to the local convenience store, there people recognise us in our Japan cricket shirts. They want to ask about how we're going as a team. Um, there are plenty of people that um, that have put a lot of time and effort into cricket in Suno. So uh, I guess the the first community that we want to look after in that respect would be in Suno. So um, yeah, we'd love to grow the game and have, have more and more grounds around Japan, but we probably want to start where cricket's based for now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Build build steadily and, and grow steadily and um, not do everything all at once and, and try and build up towards that, um, that growth and development and hopefully um, the game can prosper in Japan. Uh, do, do many of other countries give advice and help out, um, help you, you guys out in, in Japan from other countries around the world, associates or full members? offer tips and advice on how you should do things? Um, so we've got a couple of partnerships with professional teams. Um, there's there's a partnership with Titans in in South Africa. I believe it's in Pretoria, but I'm not sure exactly. Um, and then in Australia, we've got a partnership with Cricket Victoria. Um, the, current, the current general manager of Queensland Cricket is Joe Dawes, who was previously involved with png as the head coach and i've bounced a few ideas off him and he's said that he's happy to send coaches um where it makes sense and also use facilities and set up practice games and stuff like that so hopefully there's something there but i think leaning on the full members in our region in new zealand and australia um is probably a good start in that regard and then probably all the all the other countries with setting up bilateral series they're going to be mutually beneficial because we need to play as much cricket as possible um to get better but also for rankings and things like that so um yeah i think that i would like to think that alex the ceo um is having a lot of these conversations but i know that from my personal experience people do want to see the game grow and i think that japan is a really exciting country for that you know third biggest gdp in the world um, and the way that Japan gets behind, I guess, crazes um, or, or just high growth ideas and sports is really exciting. So um, I think it'd be great for international cricket if Japan could crack, say, the top 20 or top 30 in the world rankings and start playing some really good cricket. Absolutely. Hope so. Um, I think everyone hopes that's the case with all associate countries in general. So it was good to hear your your thoughts on the on the growth and development of cricket in Japan, and, and I think many people would learn a lot from listening to you there about that and what needs to be done to make sure that it keeps growing and developing in Japan and, and keep prospering as a sport. Uh, but as I said, that's the case with all associate nations. You have challenges and barriers and hurdles. International cricket at the moment is not in a probably good place at the moment. Uh, it's being talked about, the ICC under pressure to do more so hopefully we can we can have a good chat about these things and issues and and uh get people on board and uh help the game out and and grow the game in these uh, associate countries but also make sure cricket's in a good place going in the long term um and that's a perfect way to talk about our next topic kendall is the challenges of being an associate cricket player and team we've already highlighted a few of them thus far in our chat. As you mentioned, limited resources, facilities, coaches, uh, players don't have contracts, they're not full-time professionals, they have other jobs. Obviously, as we speak in this interview, you're at your work at the moment, uh, where you work in Brisbane, uh, you have another job there, uh, trying to get by and and um, do what you need to do, as many people do. Um, but that's the issues with associate teams and, and countries and players is, um, you know, contracts, getting paid, staying involved in cricket, because many people leave cricket. When I spoke to Alan, he said the women's team in Japan, some of them leave after, you know, X amount of time playing for the team because they don't 
see a future in pursuing cricket, which is a shame. And that needs to to uh, turn around and and get those numbers down. And he spoke about that in our chat. And I suppose not only in Japan, but other countries as well face the same issues and problems. And players have to be resourceful, have to use their own initiative uh, to, to get better. And, and teams have to do the same as well. So, Kendall, tell us the challenges involved of being an associate player yourself and being an associate team for those who don't know what the barriers and hurdles that you have to come overcome to try and compete and try to stay afloat really and what needs to be done better to improve that to improve the players uh, quality uh, playing cricket with associate countries and also teams and countries what do we need to do to improve that um yeah so there's a couple of parts to that i think on, on the first question what are the challenges of being an associate cricket player um, I was on the phone with Taniyama this morning, actually, um, who was one of my teammates that I spoke about, and he was just getting out of the house. He said it was about two degrees, um, and I asked him what his training plan was before the next tour, and he said he was going to start next week. There's an indoor centre at the Suno International Cricket Ground where they've set up a net, and there's a bowling machine, so there's a little bit you can do there. Um, but, you know, we can't just go to the nets down the road like you can in Australia, um, in Japan. There's a lot of, like Taniyama, by way of example, actually moved to Sano from Osaka. So um, to be close to the SICG, so he could train and get better. I think there's there are, there are some barriers, you know, a lot of the players have to travel two, three hours to get to a cricket game on a weekend um, to get to training and... I think sometimes I'm I'm very lucky being here in Brisbane where I travel five minutes to get to my club. And even then that can seem like a drag sometimes um, because of the nature of cricket. But um, a lot of these players are having to travel two, three plus hours. As I said, some have to take the bullet train um, from up North down to Suno to play cricket. And um, yeah, so I guess there are, there are those challenges just with the lack of facilities across the country. You know, you've got parks, you've got baseball batting centres and things like that, but obviously you can't replicate what a cricket pitch is um, at those places. So that's that's one. Um, and and to, to answer your second question in terms of what can be done, um, I, would, I would love to see the ICC, you know, step in and be able to help set up a lot of these bilateral series or whatever it may be or help out with the funding of those I would like to think that it's in the ICC's best interest to have you know 50 60 really competitive countries or if it's not 50 or 60 really competitive countries at least 30 32 that could play in a world cup at the moment I think it's is it 20 that are playing in the next T20 world cup yeah, yeah, yeah which which I think is a really positive step forward um, it's pretty disappointing to see when they have 10 team world cup um, as the last 50 over one was. And, you know, I wasn't surprised to see what what people would call upsets by teams like the Netherlands, you know, taking down powerhouses like South Africa. Mm. Um, so, you know, with a 32-team with a World Cup, I think we're ranked around 50 at the moment, but with a couple of years of improvement, you never know, we could get into that. And then, who knows, you take down a big country, someone... Our opener, Lockie Yamamoto, scores 80 off 30, gets us off to a flyer. And then, um, you know, 
uh, Kubota, our Japanese quick, um, goes runs through a team. Like you never know what can happen in a game of cricket. Um, we take down a full member, and then the interest in cricket just spikes, goes through the roof, and then you've got this huge market in Japan that now follows cricket. Um, I think you asked me before if it can become the number one sport. I think that's very ambitious, but that's our goal. Um, might not happen while I'm playing cricket, but during my lifetime, I would love if kids were, we didn't have to get kids from baseball, but baseball were trying to get cricket kids to play there. Like that would be, that'd be awesome. But um, yeah, obviously a number of challenges and I'm just trying to do whatever I can in the time that I'm involved as a player. But uh, to be honest, I would love to work for the JCA in some capacity. Um, you know, have to convince my wife to um, move over there. But I, I think she would love to do that. And so, yeah, I mean, one day I'd love to be involved in some capacity even after playing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it must frustrate you deep down inside that you know, the ICC are not willing to grow or do anything to to help the game. It must really frustrate you that, you know, we, we speak about these great ideas, but they don't come into fruition, do they? It must frustrate you as a, an associate player looking at that and saying it's not that hard to put these things into practice. But as it is with international cricket, trying to get all four member nations to um, come together on it, on a consensus, it's very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess in fairness to the ICC, they've put in a number of things where they probably feel that they're doing that. I think they're trying in some ways, but at the end of the day, the the money talks. Um, I guess it's economics and there are a few countries that really drive the revenue in, in world cricket. Um, goes without saying, you know, India, uh, and then they keep getting the biggest slice of the pie and then associates are left with, I think it's top of my head, it was around or less than 10% of the pie yeah. went to associates and that was for a lot of associate countries. So, yeah, I mean, it, that that side of it is frustrating. Um, I understand the economics, as I said, but you'd think that there's so much upside to getting some of these markets involved and improving quickly. So, yeah, I mean, that's the next step, but we can only control what we can. And um, I think the JCA is doing some great things in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you like to see more players play in these um, T20 franchise leagues? We see a lot more associate players playing in the IPL. Um, some of the big bash, um, Scott Edwards, the captain of the Netherlands. He's playing for the Melbourne Renegades. Um, he's being signed on there. So that's good to see. Uh, would you like to see more of that around the world in both not only men's but also women's cricket as well? Yeah, definitely. We've had a couple of female players play in the fair break tournament, which I think is a great initiative. Obviously, there's nothing quite like that in the men's space as yet. But I'd like to see um, some of these leagues in the associate countries, like the UAE have a couple of great leagues. They've got the T10, the Abu Dhabi T10, and they've also got the obviously the ILT20, which is pretty dominated by Indian ownership. But I'd like to see, because um, these leagues are only growing in size and in number. So I'd like to see some, you know, maybe two associate players per T10 team or something like that. I think it'd be great for the region, um, great for associates in general. So um, that'd be great. And then, 
yeah, for for the IPL, um, I mean, wouldn't that be something if if a Japanese player was playing for the Mumbai Indians or something? But um, yeah, I guess we've got a way to go to that. Yeah, big payday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. You like Mitchell Stark recently? You know, over four point million. So you're, you're yeah, changing, uh, and for associate player as well to to get that amount of money, maybe not yeah. quite over that mark of Mitchell Stark, but over just even a million or nearly close to it yeah. change your life. No, um, definitely. Yeah. And and one thing what one thing I'm really excited about, sorry Jack, is um yeah. is the growth of the Japan Premier League. So obviously it's it's an amateur tournament. It's basically a, a rep tournament between five of the regions in Japan. And if you go well at that, it's a bit of a pathway to the national squad. It's a bit of a trial, I suppose. Um and I would like to see us grow that in Japan. You know, a, a lot of the rugby teams are owned by major corporations in Japan. I'd love to see them get involved in the Japan Premier League. Um, you know, we could get some some big bash players over. Japan's such a great place to visit. And I've spoken to a couple of the players that I manage and they'd, they'd love to go over, you know. Um, I, I speak about coaching a lot and really specific coaching. There's a player, Josh Brown, that I manage that's obviously um, broken out in the Big Bash over the last couple of years. Um, I think he would add so much value as a power hitting coach. If he could run a couple of workshops there, I think that with the national team and probably others that wanted to join, I think players would get so much out of watching him and listening to him go about his work. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love, and to be honest, you wouldn't need to pay heaps of money to get these players over there i think if you covered the if you covered the flights and gave them a little bit of um pocket money to do some coaching courses they would love to do it um and yeah that would raise the standard of the league obviously hopefully get some more sponsors involved as a result of those players and yeah i, I think there's a lot of potential there yeah absolutely um it's good to hear that um I wanted to ask you about T20 cricket and ODI cricket because there's been a lot of talk about those formats, as we know, and I'm sure you know, Kendall, that people despise T20 cricket, especially traditionalists. They don't like it at all. Um, they absolutely loathe it, and they say it's, you know, the IPL and all that stuff is ruined cricket as we know it. And also one-day cricket being in the spotlight, being not relevant anymore as it used to be, sort of with T20 cricket growing, it's sort of pushing it down. But we, as from a cricketing mainstream point of view from where I am, um, not looking from it in an associate sort of lens, as you would, uh, we, we, we say, yeah, get rid of it. You know, it, it's going to make international cricket better and all this stuff. But from an associate point of view from where you stand and where you see it from your lens, getting rid of ODIs or decreasing T20s would not be beneficial for associate nations. So what are your thoughts on that? Because that's been talked about of late. Um, sorry to clarify, you're saying that getting rid of T20s and 50 over cricket. Well, um, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we're talking about getting rid of ODIs and we're not quite yep. thinking about the associate nations and also T20 cricket people say it's, you know, it shouldn't be here or whatever. But we're not thinking about the associate nations who do suffer if 
do get rid of ODIs and decrease T20 mm. internationals. That, mm. that was what I was trying to say. So your thoughts on, yeah. on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really important that every team's got a pathway to the top, whether whether or not it's realistic. Um, they need to have, they need to see a way to get there. So we've got that at the moment. We know that if we win the sub-regional, we win the regional final, we'll play at the next World Cup as long as they keep the current system. Um, and I, I think that's really important. Personally, I'm a traditionalist. I love test cricket in terms of watching it. Um, test cricket and then T20s and then 50 over cricket personally would be the way that I enjoy watching it. Um, and then in terms of playing, Obviously, it's not viable for us to play four days or five day test matches against other countries. Well, they wouldn't be classified as tests, but multi day games. I would love to play one every year. I think there's something there to play, you know, a three dayer against yeah. a, a play a four innings game over three days against a, another country in the region. I think that'd be really cool. Um, but I don't think they should decrease T20 internationals. Um, we played eight last year. Two of them were at um, the Asian Games. I think that if we can play sort of, I reckon 12 to 15 is a good number. Recently, there was a series between the Philippines and Indonesia. They played six T20s over five days, I think. Um, a couple of days where they played two, which would be hard on the body. But um, yeah, I think we just want to play as much cricket as possible. And yeah, the decreasing of T20 internationals wouldn't make too much sense to me. Um, 50 over cricket's a tough one. Um, personally, I want to see the ICC do everything they can to keep test cricket relevant um, and the pinnacle for the full members. We've already seen recently with the selection of the South African team um, to play New Zealand, um, the SA20 is obviously more important to South Africa than the all the history in South African Test cricket. It's really disappointing to see as a cricket fan. But again, going back to the economics, um, they need to they want to make money and they need their stars playing. Like uh, as a follower of the Big Bash in Australia, all the all the overseas international guns go and play the ILT20 or the SA20 for finals. So they're missing for finals and all the test players are playing test cricket during the summer. So mm. you're getting a, a diluted product, I suppose. Um, and yeah, for some reason, I can't fully get my head around it, but it seems that people pay for T20. People want to watch T20 and that's the reason why they can pay players. And I guess it's just that cycle. So I'd love to see the ICC step in. This is probably going away a little bit from associate cricket and Japan cricket specifically, but I'd love to see the ICC step in and um, I guess have minimum match payments. I don't know if that's viable, but have match payments that are consistent across the board. Obviously, if, you, if you're centrally contracted with the BCCI or the ECB or CA, you're probably going to um, have a higher retainer than a country somewhere else that's not as profitable, but... I'd, I'd like to see minimum match payments. Test cricket's got to be the pinnacle. Um, and then, yeah, I do worry for 50 over cricket as much as personally I'd love to play it for Japan. I do worry about the future of one day as, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite interesting to hear your thoughts on that, just to get your perspective from that. Um, from my point of view, you know, it's important that we keep test cricket going. As, as you said, I, I'm a 
lover of test cricket as well, Kendall, as many people who listen to our, our podcast and, and watch it do as well. Um, but it does face an uncertain future. But it's important that we still keep ODIs and T20s to some degree to try and help out the associate nations. I think uh, for those associate teams, realistically, they can only play ODIs or T20s, really. Test cricket sort of out of the question. So if we can have those formats still in place to help those countries play more cricket and develop will be fantastic and beneficial for the game. But whether or not that is the case, if we're in a world where test cricket, T20 cricket exists and ODIs are gone, then who knows? Um, the future is uncertain, as they say. But good to hear your thoughts on, on that. Um, Kendall, um, tr um, can you try and convince people to to watch associate cricket. For those who are not really keen on it, um, don't know a lot about it, what would you say to those people that are unsure about associate cricket? What would you say to them about the associate sort of world? Uh, people that are unsure about associate cricket. I mean, I, I think that associate cricketers face so many barriers um, that I've touched on during this um, chat in terms of training, as I said, a lot of the Japanese cricketers have to travel three hours to get to training. Um, we've all got full-time jobs or full-time uni students. Um, most of us don't get paid to play associate cricket, which is obviously another barrier. And yet when we play for our country, I think the passion for the, for the cap or the shirt is unrivaled or it, or it matches the passion at, at the highest level. So I think that um, the product that we're putting out there in terms of the skills is always improving um, as well. But I think some of the matches I've played for Japan have been the, the best quality matches that I've played in um, for a few different reasons. But I think a lot of it is that passion that I touched on. Um, it's still international cricket. Um, and yeah, I, I think that the more support that can be given to associate cricket, the faster it can grow, the more countries we can see getting better and better. And I think that is something that's really exciting. The world game is soccer or football, if you want to call it that. Um, and I think that's, I think that's probably not questionable at the moment, but a big part of that is that there's this world cup, basically every country in the world has a pathway to the world cup where there are, I think it's 32 teams. Um, and on their day, you've seen that anyone can beat anyone. And I think that's something that countries can get behind. And so the more support that could be given by way of watching it um, is only going to help that journey. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And that's why we're doing the Associate Cricket Series on the podcast, to, to learn more about yourself and people in Associate Cricket who are passionate and who want to develop the sport in non-traditional cricket countries that, want to make a difference in society and make a difference in people's lives. Um, I've heard some many great things from the people I've interviewed. And uh, it's just fantastic what you're doing and what other people in the associate world are, are doing as well. It's, it's fantastic. And get on board, everyone. Get on board. Do some more research on associate cricket because the history of associate countries in cricket is quite interesting. Uh, they, they have a connection to cricket long, long before anything else. So um, get on board with it. And... Um, you know, check out all the teams that are involved in uh, associate cricket around the world. Now, Kendall, 
we finally got to the end of the interview. We've got one more topic to go. We've batted for six hours. It's coming towards the end of play, stumps. And we've got to face another six balls uh, to, to finish off the day. So I thought we'd talk about the future of cricket in Japan and what the future holds uh, going forward. It's very hard to predict the future as we know, very uncertain. But how do you see the future of Japan cricket, Kendall, and associate cricket going into the years years to come and into the future? Yeah, I mean, I guess we've been discussing that for a little bit in a roundabout way, but the future of Japan cricket, um, ambitiously, I think that we want to be playing in a World Cup over the next three to four years. Um, and the future of associate cricket, I mean, is is really dependent on what the ICC wants to do with it and the direction that it goes in. But the 32-team World Cup makes a lot of sense to me um, for T20 cricket. Um, and, yeah, I think that the the strength of a 19s program is a direct reflection on the strength of an organisation as a whole in a pure cricket sense. And we've had a great 19s program in Japan for a number of years. I think we've been setting the standard outside of the full members um, for the last two or three cycles. Um, recently, we saw the 19s uh, beat every country except for New Zealand in the qualifiers. So if it was any other year, New Zealand would have had automatic qualification, if not for COVID, and then Japan would have gone through on the basis of um, what used to be the the qualifier there. So it would have been really exciting to see that that team go to South Africa and take take on the the best countries in the world. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great reflection of the talent levels in Japan and. The quicker we can get some of those boys into the national squad, um, we've already seen I think three under 19s players be selected in the next men's squad, the next men's tour. So they're in line for their T20 international debuts. And the quicker we can give those guys experience, um, the better it is for for the men's team. Um, I've got a little prediction for you that Korji uh, Hargrave Abe will be one of the best batters in the region by 2027, 2026, 2027. So he's the captain of the under-19s team, um, really good leader of that team and uh, a really promising batter. So I'd love to see those guys develop and, um, yeah, big things in the future for him, hopefully, and means I can slide down the order and slog a few or maybe go to the, go to the top and have a bit more of a license. So... Really excited for him coming through. Absolutely. Uh, good to hear your predictions on the future of Japan cricket and associate cricket going forward. It was fantastic to hear your thoughts on that. Well, Kendall, thank you so much for joining me for this associate cricket series episode today to discuss all things Japan cricket and your cricketing journey. I learned so much from speaking to you and I can see why people rate you so highly. Uh, you're well-spoken. Um, you're passionate, you care about cricket, you love cricket, as we all do, um, Japan cricket more so. But as a captain and a leader, you have those qualities and, and values, which is fantastic to see. Um, Kendall, if people want to get in touch with Japan cricket, where can they do that? Where can they get in touch with Japan cricket if they want to learn more? So I'd encourage everyone to follow Japan cricket on all forms of social media. Um, 
very quality content consistently delivering. Um, Marcus Thurgate, who I touched on before, is part of the men's national squad. He's also he also runs a couple of those social media accounts. Does a great job on those. So, um, you know, my, my Instagram, Kendall Fleming Nine. Um, reach out to me there, and I'm happy to answer any questions about Japan cricket or um, the website. Just look up Japan Cricket on whatever browser you might be on. Um, it's it's a good website there. and um, Or the best way would be to get yourself to Sano. It's, I would encourage everyone to get there. Um, Japan's a great place to visit if you haven't been there before. If you have, you probably want to go back there. So you just take, a, take an hour and a half train from Tokyo next time you're there and um, you can go to one of the best cricket grounds in the region. Absolutely. Um, we'll leave links to those in the description of this episode. We'll also leave a link to our uh, chat that we had with Alan Kerr from Japan Cricket, where we talked about Japan Cricket on the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, and and listen to get onto his podcast as well, the Japan Cricket podcast, where he's interviewed um, some of the big personalities in Japan Cricket, and um, you'll get a bit more of an insight into into the organisation. Absolutely. We'll leave a link to that as well. Thank you, Kendall, for reminding me of that. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll leave a link to that as well in the description of the episode. But before we go, remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, so the podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you, Kendall, for joining me today to discuss all things Japan cricket and your cricketing journey. I hope all of you watching or listening to this Associate Cricket Series episode learned a lot about cricket in Japan from Kendall and his cricket journey. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now.